check it out. Welcome to Top of the Class. Hear from education experts and get insights from high achievers to learn how you can do the same. Get into those top schools. Ready? Proudly presented by Crimson Education, the world's leader in university admission support. It's always a pleasure to be joined by my illustrious podcast co-host, and today we're talking all about technology. Jamie, how have you been? Good, Alex. Uh, I actually recently moved from New Zealand to Sydney, so I'm in your neck of the woods uh, over in Australia, and um, I'm very excited to be here after a year uh, as a flightless Kiwi in New Zealand. Well, like every other Kiwi, I guess, a flightless in, in that regard. But yeah, it's fantastic to be talking about technology, and I know this is a topic that you get followed up with uh, quite a lot, and obviously it's an area that you're quite passionate about. In fact, you just messaged me a couple of days ago saying that there was a student who asked you all about the various technology jobs that are out there. It's an area that I admittedly don't know too much about. So I'll throw open to you. Uh, firstly, why did you really want to cover this particular topic of like different career paths in technology and why should high schoolers be knowledgeable about this kind of area? Okay, to put this really simply, there are two ways to uh, really boost one's career pathway quickly in this world right now that I can see. The first is going to one of these competitive undergraduate colleges, which opens up lots of job opportunities, whether it be on Wall Street, whether it be, you know, as a lawyer at a great school, whatever. The second is going to technology. Um, and that could be learning computer science. It could be working in other related technology jobs. It could even be working in like business development within a technology company, but particularly within the hard areas of technology. So I'm seeing, for example, alumni like Zong Huang at Tesla or alumni like Brendan Fork, who's launching his Y Combinator startup or Samuel Singh doing his Y Combinator startup, or other people in our network who are interning at Facebook, or other folks at Google DeepMind, like Richard. So I guess what I'm seeing is this growing trend and growing opportunity, and I want to make sure that you know our listeners around the world are aware of uh, how compelling these opportunities are, what they look like, and you know really thinking about this early on in high school. Yeah, well, it is one of those things that I think a lot of high schoolers can understand because obviously they're, they're using technology quite a lot, but they might not actually know what jobs they might be aiming for. They're, I'm assuming it's not like the IT guy type of thing at a, a lot of companies that goes and presses the on and off button on a computer to get it going again. So what kind of areas do you see the technology jobs falling under? Is there like a couple of different categories or what are the titles usually that you think of when you think tech jobs? Yeah, sure. So definitely it's not the IT manager. That is not what I'm thinking about. Um, or nothing wrong with IT managers. And we really appreciate ours at Crimson. So basically, um, the career opportunities that we're really talking about here, I'll go through them. So first up, there's software engineering. This involves you know, actually learning how to code, you know, building the architecture of an app, designing it, you know, uh, and actually, you know, write, literally writing the lines that bring it to life. So this is a really uh, continuously high-paying field. A lot of our alumni are on 120K USD plus salaries plus stock in many of these big tech companies in Silicon Valley. And there's really this like firestorm demand for these developers because you've got traditional tech companies hoovering up talent like Google. Then you've got other companies that are trying to become more tech forward that are hiring developers. For example, um, JP Morgan, one of the world's biggest banks, now has more developers than bankers, um, you know, which is really interesting, uh, investment bankers that is. So the point is software engineering, big area of demand. That's the first area, okay? And that's what people will often think about when they think of computer science. Next up, we move to data science and artificial intelligence. So data science is about using statistics to you know, answer important questions. So let's say I want to know what price Uber should charge for its car, or you know, for example, uh, how quickly you know, people will book uh, on you know, bookings.com based on what kind of photo they're shown and what sort of notifications are shown. Data science can be used to solve that problem. 
and make smart recommendations. It's also used to develop, you know, good trading algorithms on Wall Street, things like this. Now, one branch of data science is artificial intelligence, which is using data to make decisions uh, with the outputs and the new learnings feeding uh, an updating of the algorithm and then progressively better decisions. That sounds a bit, well, you know, gobbledygook. So let me kind of break you down a good example. When you go to uh, the, the doctor, they look at your x-ray, you break your arm, whatever, they look at the x-ray and they tell you, um, you know, uh, what's wrong with your arm. But Google scanned millions of x-rays and now can often beat uh, the human doctor in diagnosis of the x-ray. This is using artificial intelligence. The same thing's true in you know, financial uh, stock recommendations. So previously, you might pay some broker who sort of you know, thinks about the world and you know, recommends your stock. But these days, a lot of advice is taking place through robo-advice, robotic advisors, which is AI algorithms recommending you what stocks to buy, what portfolios are more optimal that will often beat these you know, uh, emotional human traders. So AI and data science is the second career vertical. Again, that pays even better than software engineering um, often. Um, particularly artificial intelligence, things like Google DeepMind, Google Brain, things like this. Moving to the next node, we have product management. So product management is like being the mini CEO. What you do here is you think of a problem that you know some users are facing, and then you, you, you're basically responsible for building the solution, coordinating the team to make that happen. So let's say, for example, you want to build a food delivery app inside you know, um, Sydney. You might think about you know, what features the app needs, you know, uh, what you know, users to prioritize, what features are required, you, you might need to help work with the developers that goals when it will be completed. And you'll oversee not only the you know, coordination of the project, but the technical specification of what features users actually want. Because a software engineer will build the feature, but the product manager has to often tell them kind of what to build. Now that process is often more collaborative than what I've just said, but that's and bolts, that's kind of it. That's, that's the third pillar, you know, product management. Um, and then the final pillar that relates to broadly tech is entrepreneurship. And what I mean by this is creating your own tech company um, similar to, for example, what I've done at Crimson, I'm building an education technology company. Um, there's lots of opportunities for our young people now to go out there, raise capital for their ideas and build their own you know, entrepreneurial ventures. And this is becoming a progressively more popular career opportunity. And I, I bundle under technology because a lot of the best founders often have some kind of STEM or computer science or technology background driving you know, th this idea that they're building. So um, there are four of the kind of main career tracks that I'm seeing within the technology area that are really, uh, I guess, um, riveting for our students. Yeah, fantastic and, a, and an awesome breakdown. In terms of the skills that underpin all of these major career paths, what do you think the you know, average high schooler should be working on to prepare themselves to go into these areas? Got it. So a couple of things. First up, you want to nail math. This is obvious. You need to be pushing a hard, hard on math. We have an online high school called the Crimson Global Academy which lets you take additional AP classes like APBC Calculus or A-levels at IGCC Math. We also do tutoring things like the IB. So what you can do is, you know, in your physical school, take these extra math subjects. And the point of this is that normally in a physical high school, your math level is constrained to being only sort of one year ahead of other classmates. The more you can push ahead and be several years ahead of math and performing well, um, you know, the better you're going to do because that rigorous math foundation really helps you to thrive in computer science. So nail the math. The second thing, obviously, is computer science, and you can take it. I recommend AP Computer Science, which we also offer. Um, and basically, AP Computer Science, take my alumni, Samil Singh. He went to Harvard. Now he's doing a Y Combinator entrepreneurship company inside Silicon Valley. He picked up AP Computer Science in high school at our suggestion, took that on. And now, you know, at Harvard, he did applied math and computer science. So AP Computer Science, very, very valuable. So math and computer science. 
The third subject that I'd consider would be physics because it often requires some of the modeling, some of the math skills that, you know, sit at the intersection of theoretical math and more like applied problem solving. And then, um, you know, finally, I would actually throw in English as well because uh, English is really critical for you to communicate with other people in your team. Um, to be a product manager, you've got to be able to communicate well, often both in writing and verbally. And all those skills are pretty useful. So I do recommend strong performance in the English as well. So those subjects, uh, if I can remember this correctly, um, you know, math, computer science, physics, and English would be my core recommendations for the aspiring tech entrepreneurs listening to our call today. Yeah, fantastic. And in terms of computer science, obviously not every school offers that. And I'm going to guess there's a lot of students who are sitting out there thinking, okay, well, I've got physics, maths, chem, that kind of stuff that I'm doing at school. How would they kind of get a quick introduction to computer science without necessarily delving into a full kind of, you know, course at the moment, but enough to know that they want to do it longer? So a recommendation I would give you is to take Harvard's CS50 program. I took this as as a student at Harvard and what it is designed to be is an introduction to coding for those who have never coded before. Now there's 11 weeks of problem sets followed by a final project. It's fully online. You can do it for free or you can pay a small price to get a certificate. Um, and basically it's well recognized by top universities. So getting it done has real value to your US college application. Um, students like say Lucas Lee uh, now, you know, now at Harvard did CS50 through Crimson with us. And basically um, it's really useful, especially if you do just the first three weeks, it gets a bit hard near the end for sure. But the first couple of weeks will give you a bit of a flavor for coding. And it's really, you know, interactive, fun, low cost way to just test it out and learn about it. Um, so that would be kind of what I'd recommend on the hard academic side. As far as understanding how technology is going to affect the economy and artificial intelligence in particular, I recommend a book for our students called the called AI Superpowers or Artificial Intelligence Superpowers. And this talks about the rise of artificial intelligence in China and the West and how it's radically transforming different industries from education to finance and creating a quite a big geopolitical battle between America and China. So that would be another recommendation as well. Yeah, no, no, that, that's awesome, man. Yeah, like obviously the the coding side of things is such an important part of, you know, going into that computer science field. I'm going to throw you a bit of a curveball question here. If you had the choice, you can choose only one between learning Mandarin or learning, say, some of the more fundamental coding languages, which one would you put more time and effort into knowing that, you know, you wanted to start a business in future or you wanted to get into the future of technology, would you spend more time learning Mandarin or coding languages? So I think the fair comparison, tell me if it's not reasonable, is fluency in Mandarin or, you know, sufficiently strong coding skills, you could design a basic minimal viable product app by yourself. Do you think that's a fair comparison? Yes. So if you give that to me, then I'd probably choose the coding. The reason why is, um, you know, uh, you can recruit people in a team that speak Mandarin, but having versatility in coding means you can whip up some, and, and, and actually coding is a very expensive resource. So if you want to hire coders to build anything, it's um, a challenging, costly endeavor, especially if you don't know how difficult that work is to do. You can't really audit the work very well. So being able to do some of the basic prototyping work yourself and work with the engineers directly is going to be pretty valuable. Um, uh, so I mean, honestly, one of the mistakes I made in high school is I did French over Mandarin. So I would I would love to choose both. But if I had to choose one, I'd rather fluency in coding over Mandarin, um, you know, in most cases. I think there are some selective cases where, you know, Mandarin is better. Like if you want to become an investment banker, you know, speaking Mandarin is probably more useful than, you know, being able, being able to code. But for the careers we talked about, you know, product management, entrepreneurship, you know, uh, artificial intelligence, software engineering, CES is going to be a big leg up. Yeah, for sure.
Now, one of the things that I think a lot of people who are interested in the area of tech, in particular coding, would start hearing about the, you know, when they get to like 17, 18, near the end of high school, is the argument that the majority of coders uh, could probably do projects outside of university or not even go to university and still get a good job. Like it's, you know, skills over degree. Whereas other people say, no, 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 you should still definitely go to a university. It's for the connections and the ins that you can get with a lot of these top companies. But do you think it's it's leaning one way or another towards like getting a degree and going that path or DIYing it and just doing projects at home and going that path? All right. So I can answer comprehensively, uh, not just with a small inclination that the US-UK option, particularly the US option, is you know far ahead. Um, I'll give you a couple of reasons why. First of all, you know, I've met a lot of students that, you know, they, they consider applying for the U.S., they ultimately don't do it, or they try, they realize it's kind of difficult, and they sort of give up. And then they try and do things in entrepreneurship without going to university. And so far without fail, they've all failed. Like some of them have taken years to fail in terms of their, um, you know, they've raised capital, they've built a company, it looks promising, and then it goes down. Um, university from one of these top schools is ultimately a fantastic insurance policy that means you can get a lot of different jobs. If you don't want to be an entrepreneur, you can just get a fantastic job quickly. Your skills are transferable and well understood by the market and you can you know, land the jobs at Google, et cetera. When you don't have a university degree and you just know how to code, ultimately you're always entering every scenario with something to prove. You're always entering with a disadvantage and you're always entering, you know, having to sort of like have someone take a bet on you. And in a world where not everyone has enough time to get to know you and it's a competitive job market, um, you don't want to put yourself in that kind of environment and limit your options so much. So I would say um, the other thing is that while you can do like a quick coding bootcamp, um, you know, for 12 weeks, none of the best coders at Google did this to, to build, you know, their, um, you know, skills because it requires a good understanding of the underlying math, you know, how to do architecture, um, some of the more sophisticated academic components within coding beyond just brute force, you know, shipping code to become a truly amazing, you know, software engineer so that you can try and, you know, do this bridge course, but it's ultimately a bit of a hustle and you're going to probably hit a bit of a wall and you won't have the social network of people that are really advanced in coding you can learn from with, you know, career opportunities in these great places. So even if you're the one exception um, to the rule, and, and it's been eight years, thousands of kids that I haven't seen one real exception yet to this rule, um, you know, you, you may go through the boot camp, but it's going to be, it's going to be a bit of an uphill slog um, when, you know, you won't have that network around you. So overall, like I'd much rather you, for example, turn up to Stanford, do your computer science degree, then you've got so much flexibility later on, um, then you take this punt on kind of this alternative pathway. So it sounds nice to take the alternative pathway, but I would challenge anyone listening to this podcast, you know, thinking about that, to actually get an off from one of these top schools. Then if you've got the courage to turn it down and go coding, by all means do it. Um, but, you know, kind of, uh, I often see people using this alternative route as an excuse to not kind of even try in the first process. So that, that would be my, my passionate hot take about why they should go ahead and get a serious undergrad degree in computer science. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think that's a, a fair insight, particularly when you've seen it time and time again, where the, uh, the alternative of uh, not going to university well. hasn't really turned out that well for students. So um, yeah, definitely worth considering to go to computer science or a range of different other degrees, I'm sure, are probably a, a good option. In your mind, if a student is looking at you know, the next big thing in, in tech, what are some of the degrees that they should be seriously considering? Or are there any kind of like specialist, very, very cool degrees? I know Berkeley does MET, for instance, like these kind of uh, hybrid courses that are very specialized. What are some of your kind of top 
10, or maybe not, we don't need to do 10, but top five, for instance, of your favorite uh, courses around the world that students should be looking at? Got it. So I think some of the best programs in the world combine engineering and business. Um, so the first one that I'll give you is, Jer- is Jerome Fisher um, M&T program, Management and Technology, at the University of Pennsylvania and Ivy League School. This program, um, which we've sent a number of students to, like Martin Luck, for example, um, combines um, you know, engineering uh, from the you know from the engineering college at UPenn, as well as uh, the you know business school of Wharton, which is the world's best undergraduate business school. In that can combined program, you're getting rigorous business skills, rigorous engineering skills. You know, you have so many job opportunities post that program. Um, the other one that I'd give you uh, would be Stanford's MSNE program, Management Science and Engineering. Management science is a nice way of saying business, and then engineering, of course, is you know it can be computer science, it can be you know other types of engineering. But many of my students, like for example, May, um, you know, like for example, Thomas Jung from Australia, these students, uh, you know, go ahead and do MSNE at Stanford with great success. The other programs I throw out there are programs I also applied to and got into myself back in the day, like you know, Orphe, Operations Research and Financial Engineering at Princeton, that combines you know math, economics, stats, and finance, computer science as well as, for example, um, financial engineering uh, at Columbia, um, which is, you know, uh, you know uh, a focused major at Columbia, which combines many of the things that I just mentioned as well, giving you a flavor of computer science and a flavor of business together. So there are kind of four really solid programs that I would say are all quite exciting. Um, I'd also throw in there, you know, uh, University of Washington. Um, it's got quite a good recruitment pipeline for working for Amazon, given its proximity to Amazon HQ. And that's sort of a bit of an untraditional pick where you can do computer science there and land some good job opportunities um, from a school that isn't actually so competitive, but, you know, it's sort of historically done well from a recruiting perspective. Um, I'd also throw Georgia Tech in there as well as, as a pretty good focused computer science school. So there are a couple of kind of quirky options for you and some, you know, heavy hitting competitive but incredibly effective programs that I'd also talk about. Yeah, yeah. And and does the university name matter beyond like your your top 10? You're obviously like your MIT, Harvard, Princeton, like I'm sure you could do any kind of tech degree there and, and do very, very well. But outside of that top 10, uh, do you need to go to a university that I guess has a you know more of a reputation for computer science tech or should you be aware of the pathways to different companies, those kinds of things? Like what kind of research should students do if they want to get into these top companies, but they might not be able to make it to like those top 10 universities? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, the short answer is yes. I would say the ranking of the school matters all the way down to about position like 40 or so when it starts to become a bit less relevant because the way this works is that, you know, these you know, these companies have, you know, finite constraints on their HR teams. And so they're going to go ahead and do on-campus recruiting where they turn up at certain campuses and interview students at only a select number of institutions. So, um, you know, if you go to one of these high-ranked computer science programs, then people are going to actively recruit from these places because they don't want to filter through all these different candidates where they don't know how they've been trained in computer science. They've got very different variable ways of approaching different problems. It's a bit harder to recruit. They can, of course, do this if you're a company like Google. They've got very efficient recruiting channels. But um, for many major tech companies, you know, going to, you know, one of the more well-regarded computer science particular programs is valuable. Um, so, you know, you don't necessarily need to go to a school that has an incredible oval reputation, although that's, of course, ideal, but a school that has a really good computer science reputation is definitely pretty valuable. And think about it like this. A lot of your learning in university takes place from your peers. So you want to be in an environment that's as strong as possible because that means your peers are going to be as strong as possible and your learning is a function of their learning and your reputation of the, comp- of the university is a function of their reputation. 
And so you're sort of all swimming in the same boat. And so you want to go to the best possible program, I would say, uh, pretty clearly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that, that's for sure. And for students who are potentially saying, well, you know, I, if I get a, into a good university here in Australia or New Zealand or Singapore or wherever else they are in the world, potentially Europe even, I know we've got listeners from all over, uh, what could their chances be of working at a place like Google, Facebook, IBM, uh, Amazon, etc., uh, in the US, if they're particularly aiming at, you know, obviously these big companies have headquarters all over the place, but if they were wanting to uh, make it big, I guess it would be in the US. What's the chances of getting recruited to a company like that uh, if they do study at a university outside of the US? Good question. So um, the short answer is it is very doable. Um, I'll give you the example of, um, you know, uh, one of my you know good friends, Richard and his girlfriend, both of them studied at uh, you know Oxford uh, in the UK, and then they went on to work for Google's DeepMind team. Um, one of them in the Canadian office, one of them in the UK office. Um, but basically, these top companies have big resources for you know international students, um, big visa support offices. There's a lot of support for H1 visas. So big tech companies like Facebook, Amazon, Google, Netflix. These companies are really well equipped to recruit international students, and they see getting the best talent as a critical kind of competitive advantage. So uh, I think of, for example, a Kiwi alum, um, Winnie Wu, who went through St. Cuthbert's and is now at Harvard. She's at Square now. She's been about five years there in the engineering team. So it's definitely doable, um, you know, to come from a non-American background and then land these job opportunities for sure. Um, what you can do is also work for some of the European operations and transfer to one of the American operations also. Um, but, you know, you do want to be thinking about visa questions pretty early on. But yeah, I've seen it successfully happen, you know, many times now. And it just kind of makes sense that like if you're a smaller company, you don't have the resource to support these kind of international workers as much. But if you're a larger company like a Google, um, you know, it makes a lot of sense because you have sort of economies of scale and recruiting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, my final question for you before we get into your final advice would be how does students stand out? Even among like all these, you know, I know there's like a, a lot of hiring going on from students who have come from these top universities. But if you are getting into a top university, how do you stand out among those kind of cohorts who are, you know, fantastic coders or really mathematically strong? What kind of things could students be doing, perhaps even in high school leading into university, to kind of give themselves a little bit of a head start and make sure they're as close to the as possible to the top of the pack? Good question. So I guess come back to the basics. You want to accelerate in both math and English. Um, you want to, you know, get some AP wins, in the, I mean, computer science wins on the board quick, probably with AP computer science. You probably want to think about some competitions in the area, like the Informatics Olympiad, which is kind of pretty relatively uncompetitive compared to like Math Olympiad. And you probably want to get some exposure to entrepreneurship nice and early as well through some internships, potentially could be online ones. Our students can intern at PWC as part of our school program, Crimson Global Academy. There are a couple of my quick suggestions. Uh, what do you have, Alex, for, for our listeners? Well, I think, uh, you know, having seen a couple of the examples on the Top of the Class podcast, I think self-learning uh, different languages can be very useful. I know Satvik uh, was a student who has Im impressed quite a few listeners and he learned 14 different coding languages. And after a while, like, he's able to pick and choose which ones he wants to code in and he knows which ones he likes more for, you know, different purposes. So I think a broad understanding of the variety of different languages out there is something that I'd probably encourage students to do. 
And yeah, don't be afraid to potentially start like a, a company and start creating apps. I know that we had a 15-year-old student from Sydney, Nick, uh, who was on the podcast and talking about his startup, which is an app company or app development company. And it just gives him an opportunity to code as well as the entrepreneurship angle as well. So definitely like a, a bigger undertaking, I guess, in some respects, but no less impressive and certainly does give students a, a leg up. And he's very much considering the US college pathway. And he feels like the experience he's getting outside of school at this stage is far more valuable than what he's doing in school because he's just able to have that you know, personal experience and be able to take his journey in coding wherever he wants to go at this stage. So I think, yeah, definitely checking out. Oh, and also um, I think from the robotics perspective, learning how to code robots. Uh, we, we had Gia who, who spoke to you very early on. Uh, the, I think she won the VEX Robotics Championship, what, three times or something like that? Uh, yeah, so I think One her episode is, is a great example of what you can do with coding. I think students who are getting the, the knowledge is great, but the practical experience and the application thereof, like that's, you know, it just takes it up a notch or two. So I would definitely recommend students look at that. Um, but yeah, that's some of just my general thoughts from being the podcast co-host. Your final advice for any students listening? I think it's worth understanding that um, if you're in the coalface of Silicon Valley, the opportunities in, in, you know, in front of you are really mind-blowing as far as these major tech companies, and they're also spreading all around the world. One of my good friends recently started working for Stripe, a fast-growing payments company over here in Australia. Um, just because your country, whether it be you know, Australia or whether it be Tokyo, doesn't have a rigorous computer science education within high school yet, um, you don't want to be left behind. It's a really big opportunity. So do think about how you can kind of systematically build these skills um, because chances are by the time you get to these top US schools, it'll be really on your career horizon. If you're a STEM student, it's a bit of a, you know, a no-brainer for many of the students to think about. So in the same way you might currently perceive medicine or something like this to be like the exciting local option, bear in mind that you know, amongst the kids with this opportunity set in America, um, you know, technology often can usurp medicine as that you know, really exciting flagship opportunity. So um, you know, pay close attention to this pathway, think about it really seriously, and you know, be aware that as your environment evolves and changes, it could actually become the leading option. So, you know, definitely lean into it now, do the research. We're here, happy to help. Yeah, and I think the other thing that students should keep in mind too is that if you're 17 or 16 right now, like these kind of pathways are not some distant future thing that you might consider in like 15, 20 years time. No, this is like five, six years away. This is a lot closer than you think. Like as soon as you get into university, you could be considering like internships at some of these big companies. Like we've seen it with our Crimson students, like first, second year uh, university intern, summer job type of things at these like, you know, massive companies. So it's a lot um, I think it's a lot earlier on in your career than perhaps students are thinking about. Like they think, oh, it's a, something that I'll think about, you know, when it happens. It's happening. Like if you're 16, 17 years old, now's the time to start planning your path to these kind of universities and careers. Yeah, I think you nailed it. Starting early, planning in the future, being ambitious, critical. Great to see you today, Alex. I enjoyed the tech session. Yeah, man, absolutely. All the best. And I look forward to sharing the episode far and wide. Cheers. Have a good one. Thanks for listening to Top of the Class. Subscribe for future episodes. For show notes and to plan your best future, head to crimsoneducation.org.